We're going to turn together this morning to the book of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah instead of the book of Hebrews, as Pastor Dale is ill. We're going to look at Isaiah 39, and then chapter 40, verses 1 through 11 is actually what we're going to focus on, but we'll read chapter 39 to set really the context, set the stage for what we'll be looking at together this morning from God's Word. So Isaiah chapter 39, beginning at verse 1, and if you remember the book of Isaiah, uh, the king Hezekiah is ruling right now, and he's been very ill. He thought he was going to die, prayed for recovery, and he did recover. And so that's where we're at right now at 39 verse 1. Hezekiah has just recovered from a serious illness. Hear now God's word which is living and powerful and endures forever. At that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that he had been sick and had recovered. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly, and he showed them his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say? And from where did they come to you? Hezekiah said, They've come to me from a far country, from Babylon. He said, what have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, they've seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, will be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then said Hezekiah to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought there will be peace and security In my days. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, 
when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Let's ask God for his blessing on this passage of his word together. O Lord, our God, you know us as a body of your people. You know our sin. Lord, you know that our sin uh, together, if we could see it, it would be heaped up toward the heavens because we've sinned against you, a holy and good God. Lord, you know that we need your gracious salvation. We need your spirit. We need your word. We need your sanctifying work. Lord, some of us today are weak. Some of us are weary. Some of us are wounded. Lord, you know each of our conditions, and we pray, O God, that you would show us your glory. As Moses prayed, O God, show us your glory. Show us your grace and your goodness. Speak to us. Lord, let us hear you and see you this morning. Come near to us, we pray, by your word and spirit, that we would worship you, adore you, and find life in you, Lord, and be strengthened in walking in your ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the words of Isaiah are probably familiar to many of us because we've heard Handel's Messiah, perhaps one of the greatest musical compositions of all time. And uh, maybe if you think of those words, comfort, comfort my people, it brings to mind beauty and warmth sitting in a comfortable concert hall, and it's warm and cozy and Christmassy. Uh, Maybe a few weeks ago or about a month ago, we think of God's rich grace, His sovereignty. But it can be easy to miss the depths and the height, the vastness of what God is saying to us here by his prophet Isaiah. In fact, we'd step back and and read through the book of Isaiah, we'd see that it's really a mixture of both gospel promises, but also a lot of warnings, a lot of uh, sober declarations of coming wrath of God against a sinful and rebellious people. And in fact, Isaiah's ministry is not set during an easy time. If you would be living alongside Isaiah, living in these days, uh, you would realize that the nation of Israel and Judah, it's a country that's crumbling. Uh, Judgments have already come. Assyrians have invaded. And Babylonians will invade. The economy is faltering. People are suffering. Families have been broken. There is sin spread through the land. Many people have wandered away from God. These are hard times. 
And we might think in Isaiah chapter 36 through 39, now we've got finally a good king. Everybody's, you know, I think every believer in, in Judah at this time would maybe be lifted up a little bit, a bit of hope. In a sense, finally, we've got a better king ruling, Hezekiah. He's a good man. He loves God. And so, uh, people's spirits are lifted a bit. In the sense that maybe, maybe things are going to be restored. Maybe things are improving in the land. But when we come to chapter 39, even though Hezekiah has passed through tests of adversity, he went through his sickness, looking to God, asking God for his help. He passed through that faithfully. The last words we see here on Hezekiah are not very encouraging. What do we read? We read about a man who in his recuperation is filled with thoughts of all of his own possessions, of all the stuff that he has. And as, as people come to congratulate him on his recuperation, what does he do? He shows them everything that he has, every single thing, what's in his house, what's in his palaces, what's in his kingdom. And so we see Isaiah coming and asking, Isaiah, or Hezekiah, what did these men say? Where did they come from? What have you been doing? And Hezekiah tells Isaiah without, it seems, a second thought. And then come these words from Isaiah, sober words. In verse 5 and following, Behold, the days are coming when all that's in your house... Everything that your fathers have stored up to this day is going to be carried away. Nothing will be left. Even your own children, some of your sons, are going to be taken into slavery. They're going to be made eunuchs. They're going to be castrated. They're going to become slaves in someone else's palace. And what's Hezekiah's response? Hezekiah's response, heartbreakingly, he is a believer, but heartbreakingly, his response is, well, the word of the Lord that you've spoken is good, Isaiah, because he was thinking in his mind, at least this is not going to happen in my days. You know, maybe God's judgment's going to come upon our country, but as long as it doesn't happen during my lifetime, it's okay. It's good, because at least I'll have peace and comfort in my days. And so that's where we end at that point. Here we are in a place where God has brought trials upon a nation. Greater trials and judgments are coming. Society's going to collapse even further, and, and it seems that the godly even aren't listening to God's Word. There's so much spiritual weakness in this people. And it's into this context that the Lord speaks again by Isaiah to the people of that time and to us. Because if we're honest, we're not much different than Hezekiah and the people of Hezekiah's day. And so what do we read? What are the opening words, the next words from the Lord to Hezekiah, to the people of Israel, and to us? are these words. Comfort 
Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly, or it could be translated in some translations, speak comfort to Jerusalem. You may have heard before that repetition in the Bible is for emphasis. Repetition flags that something is significant. It's very important. And so if you step back to Isaiah chapter 6, what do we read there? As Isaiah has this vision of the throne room of heaven, and he sees the angels gathered around God and, and worshiping him, covering themselves with their wings, and they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's repeated three times for emphasis. Here in the opening words of chapter 40, we see the same kind of emphasis. Comfort. Comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly or comfort Jerusalem. This is a totally unexpected transition, isn't it? Comfort my people? Speak comfort to Jerusalem? How incredibly good the Lord is. How tender and compassionate is. He's saying to them, He's saying to us, these people, they belong to Me. You belong to Me. And I want you, Isaiah, to bear this word of comfort to this kind of people. What comfort are the Lord's messengers to give to a sinful people? Verse 2 goes on, Cry to her that her warfare is ended. What's Isaiah saying here? They had a war with the Assyrians. Is he talking about that? Well, he can't be talking about that because we know the Babylonians are going to come and invade this country. What's the warfare? He's talking about it. He's opening their eyes to see, you know, their and our worst problem is not our trials. If Russia and China banded up in the next decade or the next 20 years to invade the United States, and we faced a devastating world war, that would not be our worst problem just as it's not the worst problem for the people of Judah in this day to have the Assyrians or the Babylonians. The worst problem is not poverty, it's not famine, it's not coming war. It's their own sin against their Creator, against the one true God. It's the fact that they've been breaking covenant with the Lord, just as Hezekiah has as he's stumbling along in his Christian life. And what we see here is that it's the Lord who acts here. He's acting simply from His side. Is Hezekiah coming to the Lord? No, he's not here. The Lord is coming to him. The Lord is coming to us. He's initiating. He's speaking to restore and to recover what we have broken, what we deface. And so the Lord says to them and to us, He says, your warfare against me is now over. I am declaring that your war, the times that you have picked up your sin, that you have been in love with your sin and you've pursued it, you've hated me, all of that warfare against me that you are committing and have committed, I'm saying 
It's now over. It's ended. Why? Because I am bringing it to an end. I am going to deal with the heart issue of your sin. What the Lord is saying to us here is woven through the whole Bible. Think of Romans 5 or Ephesians 2. While we were sinners, while we were dead, enemies of God, God acted for us in Jesus. God the Son came and died for us. God, because of His great love, makes us alive together with Christ. This is what we see unfolded here, verse 2. Her iniquity is pardoned. God is saying, I forgive your sin. She's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. We might ask here, what does this mean, double for all her sins? Does this mean that God has been punishing the Israelites twice as much as they deserve for all of their sins? No, it doesn't. God speaking about how he's forgiving them. He's going to give them, they're going to receive from the Lord a salvation, an atonement that both pays the penalty due to God and satisfies, removes his holy wrath from them. And so the Lord is blessing them with an amazing double weight of grace and forgiveness and salvation. And as Isaiah's eyes are open to this, his ears are open to this amazing message of comfort, he realizes that there's there's more to be said. There's more to be told as the Holy Spirit impels him to speak. And it's as if his eyes are opened up and his ears are opened up and and he hears this voice. This voice speaking and shouting out, And it says, a voice cries in verse 3. Another prophet will come, shouting out this comforting news. And what is it? In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be brought low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. God of all glory is saying to the sinful people of his of every generation, saying, I am going to come to save. I am going to come to end your warfare. And nothing is going to stop me. There is no obstacle that can be thrown up against me that is going to stop the strong arm of my salvation. The description here is as though All creation itself is going to be bent back into shape. The desert places, the wastelands are going to become this open highway for the coming of God. And the steep valleys, they're going to be lifted up and the the mountains and hills be brought low. Uneven ground is going to become level. The rough places are going to become a plain. Like all of creation... It's being smoothed out, flattened, leveled for the approach of the Savior. He's saying, there is no reality in all of creation. Nothing physical, nothing spiritual, 
There's neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, not even our own rebellion can prevent or hinder this coming of the Lord as the mighty Savior. In fact, Isaiah is prophesying to us everything, every event, every circumstance, every being, person, and creature, it's all going to be working together, whether willingly or not, to be ready for this coming salvation of the Lord. And that's what we see unfolded through the Bible, don't we? This is what happens. All of the kingdoms that come after this, all of the rulers, all of the circumstances, they're all being woven together. They're all being smoothed out for the coming of Jesus. And even the ragings of people like Herod and Satan's raging through that to destroy the babies in Bethlehem. All of that being woven in and none of it being able to stop God's strong plan and purpose of salvation, of coming to end our warfare. Not Pilate, not the Pharisees, not the Sadducees. Not the slowness and stubbornness and sinfulness of the disciples. Not Jesus' mother and family saying he's insane, he's nuts. None of it could stop God's strong arm and plan to save sinners like us. And Isaiah says, he goes on to say, this coming is going to be evident, it's going to be visible. The invisible God, who's been seen before in what we call theophanies and pillars of cloud and fire, in manifestations of glory, he is going to come now visibly. He's going to make himself known visibly and tangibly in our world. He's going to come into our wilderness world of sin and suffering and misery. We see in verse 5, the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah is seeing, saying, we will see His glory. We're going to see His redeeming, double-paying atonement. We're going to see His gift of forgiveness. And it's unshakably sure because the Lord has spoken. And when God speaks, it happens. God spoke the Word. And this universe, with all its galaxies, was formed. He spoke the word, and he created. When God speaks, it happens. Everything the Lord says comes to pass. It always will, it always does come to pass. And so what a comfort. What a comfort. You imagine if you were a believer at the time of Hezekiah, and everything is such a mess. And no doubt for the believers in this day, they had messes in their own lives as well. It's not just their country. It's not just the people around them. They had trouble in their marriages. They had teenage kids struggling with sin. 
They had sorrows. They lost husbands and wives. They faced sickness. They had everything that we do here this morning. And God speaks to them with these words. What a comfort for us. This is our God. This is Him. And as John the Baptist would proclaim, this call is also a call for us to join in in getting ready. This voice cries out, prepare the way of the Lord. Here it's to the Old Testament people included in this description of all creation, getting ready for the coming of Jesus. But what about us? What about us living in the 21st century? Jesus has come for the first time. But it says, call, get ready for the Lord's coming. Prepare the way of the Lord. Anticipate, pray for, prepare for the coming of the Lord. How do we do that? We do that by what we've been doing this morning, coming together to worship God, to hear His Word, to confess our sin, to come as we are, taking everything with us that we are and saying, Lord Jesus, this is me. Here I am in all my sin and weakness, in all my struggles. I need you. Coming to you. We do it by living close to him as we walk through our week and by living with anticipation that he is going to come again. Well, as we move on to the text, we now suddenly hear two voices in the text. It seems the first one is either the Lord himself speaking directly, or maybe it's an angel uh, carrying a command from the Lord. And we read in verse 6, a voice says, cry. And then the second seems to be Isaiah responding with a question. And I said, what shall I cry? And then by the Spirit, Isaiah is given the answer. He declares the answer. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. This is what he's to cry out next. This vast contrast between us and God. We're like grass. Short, earthly lifespans, a flower-like existence. But then on the other hand, there's God's enduring Word. It's really a powerful continuation. It's a powerful confirmation of what Isaiah said at the end of verse 5. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The word of our God will stand forever. The Redeemer is coming, he's saying. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. His word stands forever. This again is a great comfort for you and me. Every single word in this book stands forever. This word is of eternal validity. You might sign a contract. You might have an insurance policy. You could have all kinds of things that will pass away or fail. 
But this word from the living God is rock solid. It endures forever. Every single promise in this word you can take hold of and know that it is steady because it's the word of God to you. So what a comfort. God is saying, it's my omnipotent power that underlies my word to you. This is to comfort you, to know that I'm coming to you, not to destroy you, but to call you to myself again, to call you back, to call you into my love and grace and mercy. And Isaiah's joy as he, as he, he makes these statements about our frailty like grass, but the steadfastness, the rock solidness of God's word, he's, just, he's filled with this joy and delight, and it bursts out from him. Now in verse 9, he says, Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Shout it from the mountaintops. The Lord is coming, Isaiah says. And he's telling all of the people of Israel, in this dismal setting where things are getting worse, he's saying, shout it from the mountaintops. Because you know what? Things are getting much, much better despite what you see around you. God's word is sure. As you trust in him, it is going to get much better better because he's acting to end your warfare, to save you, to change you, to bring about a new creation. And so for us as well, we're on the other side. We have even more fullness to these words. The Lord has come in Jesus. And so Isaiah says, and it rings even more true for us, tell everyone. This is what the call is here. Get up. Herald this. Lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Don't be afraid. You know, it must have been a possibility that the people in Judah and Israel at this time, even as they heard these words, those who trusted in Christ were kind of afraid or a little hesitant to boldly speak God's word. There's a call here to evangelize. Tell everyone. Tell everyone around us. Tell the cities that this is your God. So how can we do this? Where do we start? Well, again, in worship, when we sing God's praises, we're declaring every time we sing a song, we're praising God out loud. We're declaring all together, this is our God. This is your God. We're telling each other as we lift up our voices. We're proclaiming to each other. As we read scripture readings aloud, back and forth, responsive readings of the word of God and worship, we're declaring yes to God, but also telling each other all together here, this is your God, you're telling each other. Encouraging each other. When we go home from worship into our families or relationships or friends, as we read the Bible together, as we talk together, let's do this. Let's say to each other as we read some of the word or as we have a conversation, look with me. Behold, your God. This is your God. And this is valid for anybody. 
This is to be declared to all creation. Regardless if somebody's a Christian or not, we can go to our neighbor and say, look, this is your God. This is the God that's created you. And He's come, He's coming with words of comfort and mercy for rebels like us. Bible commentator E.J. Young says this, the cities of Judah were stopped in their tracks, as it were, that they might see their God before them. After their long night of sin and warfare against him, the time of darkness brought on by their sins, here God himself is coming again to his own. In these words is the heart of the gospel. The sum total of our happiness, as Calvin puts, us, puts it, consists in the presence of God. Have you ever thought about that? If you want happiness, real happiness in your life, and we all do, if you want real happiness, it's found here. It's found in the heart of the gospel. It's found in being with your God. Being together with your God. Coming to Him and being with Him. It's, it's in having the God of all glory coming and being with us. And Isaiah now declares, see Him. He's coming in royal procession. Verse 10, Behold, the Lord God comes with might. His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him and His recompense before Him. He's saying, the Lord is coming as a powerful king. He's the omnipotent ruler. He's powerful, strong, unstoppable. His strong hand is going to subdue his people to himself and restrain and conquer all his and their enemies. And if you're a Christian here this morning, that's what God has been doing by his strong power in your life, maybe over months or over years he has been working to subdue you to himself and subduing you to bring you into life out of your death, to bring you into new beginnings out of sorrow and shame and guilt. So he's coming powerfully. And we know prophetically, Isaiah is speaking here of the coming of Jesus. Jesus, who would come to do his mighty work of redemption so that he gain his reward. All the Father gives to me will come to me. All the children that God has given me. And so Jesus right now in heavenly glory, he's been ascended to heaven for centuries. And what is he continuing to do? He's continuing to gather all of his children to himself. Each one. He's calling to all of you to come to him. Look at his work and his reward as he comes, we see not only as king, but as the shepherd, verse 11. This is his reward, the reward of his work on the cross. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Kids, children, let me ask you a question for a minute. 
When you're afraid or if you get hurt, maybe you're playing outside and you scrape your knee and it's all bloody and it hurts like crazy, or you're scared at night, isn't it great when your dad or your mom comes, maybe if you're injured, picks you up in their arms and they carry you inside? Doesn't it already start to feel better? You know you're safe or you had a nightmare at night. Your dad comes into your room and puts his arm around you and prays with you and you feel the strong arm of your father around you. And you're comforted. I don't know about you adults here, but I'm sure many of us have warm memories of this. Maybe for some of us, we wish we had a dad or a mom like this. Maybe sometimes we wish at times in our lives as adults where we're going through something very hard, we almost wish we could go back to being a kid and being hugged by our dad or mom, being taken close and having someone's strong arms around us, being hugged tight by someone who protected and loved us, What we have revealed to us here as the Lord speaks to us about Himself is that He is the one who is doing this in His love and mercy in Christ. This God who is our King is our shepherd in Jesus. And He's powerful and He's strong and He knows everything that we're going through. And what does He do? He gathers us to Himself. He's nurturing us. He's caring for us. He's protecting us. He's gathering each one of us as His children in His infinitely, divinely powerful arms. What safer place can you or I be in the worst situation in our lives than to run to Jesus, to be with God, to be surrounded by the power and love of the triune God who spoke in this universe into existence, who sent His Son to die for our ugly sin, to be surrounded by that strong and powerful love, that protection that nothing in all creation can ever come close to, not even the best dad or mom. No doubt as this fresh wave of prophetic inspiration came to Isaiah, he must have been thinking of Psalm 23, of the good shepherd, the shepherd who's faithful and gentle and kind. Well, these words of Isaiah have been fulfilled many, many times over now. And so fully in Jesus. He is our resurrected and ascended king and shepherd. He's visible. God is visible. In Jesus. We can't see him right now, but in resurrected glory, he's just as visible, just as tangible as any of us sitting right here. That's our Jesus in heaven, who's fully God and fully man, and our Savior, who right now is feeding us by his word, drawing us to worship. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, behold your God, as Isaiah says. This is your God. If He is for you, who can be against you? If you have sin, where do you run? To Him. This is your God 
who's come and is with us this morning by his word and spirit, the one who is for us and the one who is coming again. So we close this morning. I want to flip to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Just read a couple verses there. So I think as Isaiah speaks, he would desire and God would desire that we'd also have this future vision of when each of us will see with our eyes this God in all his glory. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning partway through verse 7. Here we see the one who is and who was and is coming again. The day is coming, we read, when the Lord Jesus will be, is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at, to be wondered at, to be amazed at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Behold your God. We live in his presence every moment, and we will see him. He calls you right now this morning to come to him as the God of all comfort. Let's turn to him together in prayer. O Lord, our God, we bow before you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for a breaking through our weakness, our sin, to show us your glory again this morning, to speak to us. Lord, we pray that you would fill us with the comfort of seeing you more and more, of knowing you, with the humility of seeing you and knowing you, with the awe and wonder. Oh God, we pray that you would cause us to know the power of your strong arms tending us, shepherding us, carrying us, gathering us to yourself. Oh God, we thank you as a congregation for your grace and mercy to us again today. And as a congregation, Lord, we, we lift up before you anybody who's sitting in our midst, Lord, who doesn't know you, who hasn't come to you. And Lord, we pray that as they've heard your word this morning too, that they would join us in worshiping you, being stilled in your presence, being filled with the comfort of having you for us instead of against us as we deserve. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.